What's going on, everybody? Landon here at the Garage Built Podcast, and we are having another awesome episode this week. This week, we have Nick J. Farrow on Instagram and at Farrow Fabrication. Awesome welder, awesome at doing all these, you know, different projects, you know, from motorcycles to just about anything. And he travels and does wherever you need him to go. So that's pretty badass. So, uh, yeah. So what's going on, Nick? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, dude, for sure. I was excited for this one. I mean, actually, I asked you about doing this before I even got the whole thing started. So, you know, I was like... It's been awesome to watch you, uh, the way you started this and, and how far it's how far it's come already and the people that you've had on. I'm hoping I can uh, match the level of some of these builders you've had that are pretty, pretty fucking phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's kind of crazy that any of them even wanted to be on my show, to be honest. But, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It. Yeah, the episode you had, Josh, man, that was a... I, I had no idea half of the stuff that uh, that guy was talking about. I didn't realize they got into that. All the, the old school bikes they built. That was a great episode. Yeah, man. He he's a super cool guy, and like I still like text him every once in a while, and like he just answers me like normal dude. So I, I think that's really cool. It says a lot about his character. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's so wild how that uh, people you you looked at and were like, "There's no way." That I would have this person's number in my phone. I know, yeah. And talk to them on a regular basis. You know? <laughs> it is. It's crazy. So uh, you're into the metal fab. I mean, what got you? Uh, how long? Well, how long have you been welding? First off, let's fight. Let's find that out. Welding in general, I've been doing about five years now. Uh, it's been a super deep, deep dive, and the way that it all kind of came into my life was that. I was actually working a desk job, and I was really not digging it, uh, but I would, you know, need a way to pay the bills. A lot of people are in that same boat, and at at the time when I was working there, I had bought a $200 XS650, seized motor, chopped frame, not not chopped well, it was destroyed. Right. Uh, Terrible, terrible shape. And I ended up taking it to a buddy's house, and I had to keep bringing it to and from his house over and over and over again to the point where I actually then left it at his house, and we would work on it once a week because he was real far from me. And this was all because I didn't know how to weld. So I had to take it to somebody who had a welder. This was a flux core welder. It was, I mean... I probably could have bought a welder from Home Depot, done the same kind of weld we were doing down there. It did not come out nice. I look at that bike now and I'm like, oh man, I got to smooth some of this shit back out one day. But uh, that's that's kind of what kicked it off was was having a need for it and realizing that if I just learned how to do this myself, I could save myself a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of them things that you know I think a lot of people get scared about, like the price point on a lot of these machines and stuff you know like absolutely they you know it's a lot of money up front it is and we're going to get into that but i mean what got you into welding i mean other than like your motorcycle like was it something that was always like an interest of yours like did something that always just like sparked your interest or what's up it definitely so like a lot of people and there is a reason i bring up uh josh being on your podcast um I want, as a kid, you know, everybody grew up watching, at least everybody in our generation, watched Orange County Choppers. I used to watch it with my dad. Um, my dad didn't have bikes. Nobody in my family had motorcycles, but we would watch that show, and I'd watch all the cool things that they would make, 
and just the amazing stuff they could do with metal. And I think that's kind of where the the first time I had ever been exposed to to that type of work in, in any capacity. Because, like I said, my family was not into cars, was not into bikes. My uncle did carpentry. That was about the closest thing I saw to anybody doing, you know, working with their hands. Right. Um, so watching that show definitely set the foundation. And then I, I thought to myself, you know, one day I'd like to own a motorcycle. Not being able to do the things I wanted to with my excess definitely let me know, okay, this is something I'm going to have to learn eventually. But as far as getting into it, I will say building that bike really kicked it off because I quit my job uh, as I was halfway through building that bike uh, to go pursue a career in welding. I liked it that much after just welding a, a, a couple flux things with flux core. I was like, this is the coolest shit in the world. I need to do more of this and less of sitting at a desk. So I ended up, I had applied to the Boilermakers Union and I waited on that wait list for about a year, long, long time. Um, and I was actually going backwards on that list. And this whole time I'm building the bike and I'm thinking like, if I could just get into this trade, I'd, I'd be able to learn how to do this the right way. I wouldn't have to take this bike to somebody else. And what happened is they said, basically, you're never going to get into this union unless you take some sort of welding class. So I took a night class. I was working a regular nine to five job. I found a tech school in my area that was offering night classes from six to nine o'clock after work twice a week for like six weeks. So this was not by any means a full on welding program, right? Uh So people go to welding school. This was like, we've got some machines and we've got some high school kids that will fumble their way through showing you how to use these machines. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that was pretty much it. This was, uh, very basic um and but it was exactly what i needed because it was basically three hours here's a machine bring stuff in from home if you want dude i brought my teacher said you could bring a part you know if you have a a part that you want to weld you could bring it in i brought the whole bike he saw me pushing he's like i'm like coming through the back door i'm like could you kind of prop this door open he's like yeah what are you bringing in roll whole roller through the door and he's like, are you kidding me? I said, you could bring a part. And I'm like, yeah, I knew you wouldn't let me do it if I asked you up front. So like, <laughs> I just brought the whole fucking thing. So the high, and the high schoolers are in there. They're looking at this hardtailed XS650 and like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to help him with whatever he needs. And I'm like, fantastic. Because at this time, I still sucked. Um, I wasn't about to, to weld anything structural on this bike. But they were actually, some of them were pretty good. It's a motorcycle. It's cooler than the stuff that uh, they were doing in their regular high school class. So they were all about it, and uh, that's that's part of this story of how the bike got built. That's awesome. And you know, like you said about even going to that night class. I mean, I don't know how it is around the rest of the country, or you know, I I know we have a tech school just over the hill from my house, you know, and I know they do night classes at some point. And actually I'm thinking about maybe looking at doing a machining class over there. I think that'd be really cool. But like, did you have to, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think you can make a lot of cool stuff, but like, did you have to pay to do, to uh, do this night class? So I did. Yes. So I paid and and I remember, I kind of 
forgot to link that story back, right? This whole class, the reason I took the class again was to get into the union because they said once you've got a class under your belt, you could, you'll get bumped up on the waiting list to get in with the apprentices. Uh I was like, okay, so I looked around, I found that class, it was $400 for that class. And you could, you could spend a lot more than that. Um, And you'd probably get a better class. But for me, it's more like I need this piece of paper in order to show interest. And I knew I had the interest. It's not like I had to fake the interest. Um, But I needed a piece of paper that said I went to class and had some experience in welding. Um, So I paid 400 bucks for the class. I got to practice a shit ton. We did stick welding. We ran like four MIG beads because they only had one MIG machine, which is crazy. Um, And then they just put me right on aluminum TIG. That was like, right. So I think it was three weeks of stick welding and then straight to aluminum TIG. (laughs) So I did that basically the entire time. I'd come in, I'd sit down, I would just do aluminum TIG all night, not talk to anybody because I was living in in, in in an apartment at the time. So I had no pra- I had no way to practice at home. I knew I was super interested in this stuff. So every everything kind of hinged upon those three hours. So I was all about it. Uh, I finished the class and I sent the form off to the Boilermakers Union, and they were like the next apprenticeship. Um, they did it quarterly. So the next quarter they took me. Nice. That certificate. Yeah, that's badass. That's crazy. Yeah, that... I mean, for 400 bucks, you really can't go wrong. So right. I, 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 that's my advice. Anybody out there, if you can find a tech school, a tech high school or Vogue Tech that has a welding class, I think it is so much, it's so beneficial to do that because that's that's short money compared to many thousands of dollars on a, on a certified welding program. Which, which would be great if, if you know exactly what you're looking to do. Um, but if you're just kind of trying to test the waters and see if you like this, Vogue Tech all the way, man. Yeah, because for the money spent, I mean, it's not a bad thing at all. Because even at the end, even if you didn't like it, you still have that piece of paper, like you said. You know, that you know you can always know if you're going for another job somewhere. I mean, that might be the deciding benefactor of you getting a better job down the road. I mean, you never know. That's exactly right. Yeah, that could, and so like for me, I was going to the union. But if even if you were just going to a regular shop and you're and you're trying to get your foot in the door there, um, that certificate at least shows that that you have done. You have put some money up and you've attempted to learn what you can uh, in order to get your foot in the door. And I think people will appreciate that, whether it's union or non-union. Right. So, what's your favorite uh, material? Oh. A tough one. That is a tough one. I will probably. I think when I was learning, I know I started on aluminum, so it kind of sounds like it's uh, biased to say that. But I think that aluminum looks the most attractive when you run an aluminum TIG bead. You get that very, very exaggerated stack of dimes look, and it's much easier to do on aluminum. I I think it's much easier to do on aluminum than it is on steel. Steel, you there's a lot more. The puddle is a lot more watery. Can be very easy to have it look sloppy. But when you do aluminum, you just see that when you lay that first perfect bead, and you're it's an immediate gratification. I, I, I really love working with aluminum. Yeah, your welds always look good whenever you're working on aluminum. I mean, they look awesome on everything, but I, you can always tell that you know you really like working with aluminum whenever you see your pictures on your Instagram, which it's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. 
yeah, it, it's fun. It's light. You know, it's easy to cut. You can cut it with a, a chop saw that is not like a, a steel chop saw can run you 500 bucks um, for one of those good, like, evolution ones that just came out with the actual, like, carbide blades. But aluminum, you can cut it with a regular DeWalt chop saw with, with a $60 Diablo blade. Right. So we did it at my last when I was making trailers. We were cutting all the aluminum with those red blades on a wood, um, wood not chop saw, miter saw. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, miter saw, yeah. Yeah, so it's easy to cut, but doesn't get your hands dirty. Can't beat it, man. Yeah, I uh, when I was in high school, I worked at a sprint car wing uh, factory. Well, it wasn't a factory. It was a shop. He was making sprint car wings for every kind of sprint car, all out of aluminum. Everything was aluminum. So actually, one of my first materials that I ever worked with was aluminum. Now, we didn't weld. But he did make like aluminum trailers and stuff too for like people if they wanted trailers. Like he also did that, and it it was really neat being able to see how you could twist and like distort aluminum, yet it still kept its you know its pencil strength and its property of you know still being strong. You know it's it's a really cool it's a really cool material. I'd really like you know to get a little bit more into it. Like I think aluminum gas tanks are awesome whenever they're done right. Yeah, it's, it's something you very, very rarely see. I see a lot of people making um, what they call fuel cells. Right? Have you seen those where it's like a big square tank? And oh, yeah. Run, uh, like those go-karts will run them. I'm trying to think of what else uses fuel cells, but people make some really cool ones. Most race cars uh, have them. They're usually square or rectangle, and then they have like a hole cut in for like to drop your pump down in for you know, for your gas lines and stuff like that. And they, and like you said, they even run them, uh, under in between your legs on go-karts too. So yeah, they, they sell them, dude. And they go for like 60 to 80 bucks for just like, you know, a simple looking one, you know, and like they can go up to a couple hundred dollars, you know, that have like sensors in them and everything for like the big asphalt racer carts and stuff. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. People do really some super cool stuff. And if you ever, if you haven't checked out, um, on YouTube, the channel is uh, 6061, which is a type of aluminum, and they're, the guy, ju- it's like one of those channels where you're just watching the person's hands and all the processes they're doing, but it's shot in like super high def, and you're watching him make all these crazy shapes that like like a, an intake manifold. And he's showing you how he how he creates the shape and, and welding it up in slow motion and super great arc shots and everything it's such an enjoyable channel to watch and it makes you just love aluminum even more yeah i'm gonna have to check that out so what's what's your favorite type of welding uh definitely would be tig welding followed by stick welding and then jb welding and then <laughs> <MIG> welding. <laughs> <laughs> i like to i like to poke at the mig welders uh my buddy my buddy loctite and i uh kind of jab back and forth about MIG versus TIG because it's, you know, speed versus precision and all of that. But uh, no, I definitely prefer TIG over everything, yeah. So I was going to say, if you're a JB welder, are you JB welder or are you steel stick? What's that? Do you ever get the steel stick of no, the JB welder? that. What's the steel stick? Oh, man. It's this magic Play-Doh, basically. It comes in a little tube. It's over where they sell, like, the JB weld. And like you can get you can get a couple different kinds just like JB well, but you got the original steel stick and it's basically this 
roll of gray play-doh with like this black stuff in the middle and then like you just rip off a piece and then you work it in your hands and your fingers and like you just mash it together to try to make it all one color and as you're like mixing it it gets hot and it starts to react and then you put it over or on whatever you're putting it on and then like within 15 minutes it's basically set and then you can like sand it down and everything like to fill in gaps and stuff what? And yeah dude, dude it, i've never heard i gotta check this out oh yeah i'll send you a picture of it I'll, i have some down in the shop i'll have to i'll have to send you a picture of it then that is too funny yeah I, that's like you wear gloves when you handle that that sounds very very bad to be touching i don't know well you you probably should yeah i wear i wear rubber gloves when I do it but I mean I've done it already real quick downstairs like to put over a piece of copper pipe you know that had like a pinhole in you know and I'd get some and I'd mash it up to put it up there you know just till like the next day till I could cut it out to put in a new piece of copper tubing and I used it and it's watertight and everything it's it's pretty cool stuff that is kind of handy yeah I actually had a pipe burst in my house not that long ago and it burst on the back side uh, right up against the wall so I couldn't get a dig torch in there and I was all pissed off because I was like, oh, I could have fixed this. you know, I could have raised this if this was on the front and I ended up having to have somebody replace the pipe. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think it's like the same price as like uh, JB Weld. It's like seven bucks or something like that at your hardware store. It's it's pretty handy stuff. I should have that on hand, yeah. That could have that got me out of a pinch that day. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you a picture after we're done of what it looks like so you know whenever you go to find it. You know, and you, you were... You gotta send me a picture of some of the best beads. <laughs> use your, your thumbnail to make some dimes in it when you're yeah. done smushing it into place. Yeah, yeah, just use like a... Just get a dime to make dimes. Yeah, you know, just like press it in and make impressions. <laughs> So, you know, you, you like your favorite type is TIG welding. And, you know, like I said, guys, if you have never checked out his pictures, you got to look up Ferro Fabrication on Instagram. It's at Ferro Fabrication. No underscores, no spaces. Like <laughs> like the good Lord intended. Yes, attaboy. That's right. You know, I'm no, I'm no fan of the underscores, but <laughs> you got to to get to that handle before somebody else does. Right, right. Well, that's how it was with mine for my Instagram. I, as soon as I put it up and I seen that I didn't need any underscores, that was the first thing I said, like the good Lord intended. <laughs> I love that bit. <laughs> you know, and, and what you were saying, you know, you really like TIG welding. You know, I was just talking to Craig Rodsmith the other week, and, you know, he was saying, too, we were talking about uh, working with aluminum. He's really big into aluminum if you've never seen his work dude you gotta check it out he's amazing oh i have his i after that episode i was looking at some of those uh i guess you would call it a a, a fairing like the uh oh. like the rex style ones the big swooping ones that look like a, a missile almost yeah dustbin fairing yep yeah that stuff is incredible i i can't even imagine how much time must go into making something like that yeah he's got videos on youtube and he'll actually show you like how he went about making it, it it's amazing we we were talking about gas welding on aluminum and he said that that's actually how he learned how to weld aluminum was by gas welding is he uh is he older than us oh yeah 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 he's uh okay. yeah I, yeah I, I don't, i'm not trying to take shots at anybody for, for being older than me. I, just, I only ask <laughs> no. because, uh, because they don't teach it very often to the next generation. I know my class that I took, they, they were like, yeah, we're, we're just going to skip that. People used to do it. But I mean, shit went to the moon with gas welds on it. Right. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. No, and it was many, funny. Many aircrafts were welded with that because a lot of aircraft aluminum was gas welded back in the day. And it a little bit, I, I actually don't know how to, I've never done it. Yeah, well, he, we were talking about it and I was telling him about having you on and he was kind of excited to have you on because he was like, well, maybe I can learn something from him. But we were talking about the gas weld and then like whenever you're going to like profile your welds and stuff, he said it's a lot easier to like if you're gonna like round out like where you uh, just welded, like it it's a lot easier to work with a gas weld bead than it is a TIG weld bead. He just said it's a lot easier to work with. Like if you're working on like a on a curved axis, or, you know, or you're putting it into English wheel, trying to you know smooth stuff out. He said it's a lot nicer to work with than uh, taking with aluminum. Yeah, I wonder if that's got anything to do with it getting at uh, getting less heated. You know what I mean? So where it, uh, when you're gas welding, maybe the bead isn't quite as hot as it is, and it doesn't harden quite as much after the fact, to where it's, it would then be easier to smooth it. I, I'm kind of guessing at that. Like I said, it's because it's not something I've done a, that I've actually had my own hands on. Um, I've only TIG welded because I'm spoiled, um, <laughs> honestly, because I feel like gas welding takes a lot more skill, you know, to get it uh, to, to look the same as you would with a modern inverter TIG welder. Yeah, he he definitely said it is it is a lot harder to pick up, but he said once you get it, he said it's a lot nicer, especially with like gas tanks because, and then you might even you know know this as well. Like whenever you're TIG welding aluminum, you know it looks like it's solid and it's watertight, but he said sometimes you can get pinholes if your material isn't exactly clean or something like that. He said what with gas welding, it just it fills in everything. So he said you actually have a lot better chance of having something sealed tight by gas welding than with TIG welding. Kind of interesting. I can definitely see that because with the closest thing I've done to gas welding would be TIG brazing. And so basically the difference between brazing and welding is that when you're brazing something, it's a lot more like soldering in that you're not actually melting the base metal. You're just melting the filler metal onto the base metal. Uh, so with that you're a little bit less likely to get pinholes because you're not going to be blowing through the material right or if you're doing sheet metal you know with with regular welding there's a chance you put a little too much heat in all of a sudden you blow open a gap and then you've got to fill a gap and then maybe you leave a little pinhole behind that's not something you you would really have to worry about if you were brave right yeah no that's whenever i started uh in shop class in high school that was the first thing we learned how to do was brazing with the flux. And did you guys braze with TIG or with an oxyacetylene torch? Oxyacetylene, yeah, oxyacetylene. Oh yeah, that's the real. That's the real old school brazing. Again, that's one of those things that they. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you take a four hundred dollar class, and you, they don't go all the way back to World War Two with the uh, with the welding processes. But uh, it, TIG brazing is roughly the same, other than the fact instead of an oxyacetylene torch for your heat, you've just got your TIG torch. Yeah, it was it was neat. It was interesting, and even like in my work, you know, you look at all of our railings and stuff up in our packing rooms, like up on our catwalks for our uh, machines. You know, they're all sweated. You know, they're all brazed together. You know, the guy, the maintenance guy that back in the day, whenever he did it, he didn't know how to just weld. He knew how to braze, and that's how they made everything. And to this day, man, it still holds strong. You know, it's it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, the one thing we didn't even touch on that's probably the most important benefit to to either oxyacetylene welding or oxyacetylene brazing is that you don't need to be plugged into an outlet. Right. Huge, huge advantage. Right. 
Yep, you just have your tank. If you're doing something in a shop where there's power, I guess it doesn't matter uh, whether you needed it or not. But if you had to go do something in the field, you just take your tanks and you're off to the races. Yeah, it is. It's it's really interesting to see them older guys do that because, I mean, they still do it. You know, I'll, I'll go into work and I'll see them, you know, fixing something that was brazed originally, you know, and that's how they're fixing it again by brazing. It's it's a really neat process to watch. It is. It, it's, it's a super cool thing. The, the main difference, I think, with, with regular TIG welding or even TIG brazing, especially when it comes to aluminum, is that modern machines just have so many adjustable features to narrow down exactly the type of welds you're looking for that that would be the hardest thing for me to give up um, versus trying to, um, to braise something or to oxyacetylene weld it. With alternating current and frequency, there's just so many things that you can do to tailor the arc. Is, is that something that just comes with the type of machine that you get? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, looking at, welders on the internet you know you look at some of the higher ones like the millers and lincolns and even everlast and them and you see all the different functions that these can do i mean to me personally somebody that doesn't know that much about the tig welding you know it's like do you really need all that but i guess you know if you're using it, it every day question, because they did plenty of stuff like i said that went to the moon and stuff that was thousands of feet in the sky with the old, you know, so even if we step out of the oxyacetylene welding era and into the transformer TIG welders, right? Those are the ones that are the big, it looks like a gigantic, you know, a gigantic box, probably three feet high, two feet wide. You, you couldn't even pick it up. Uh, those transformer machines is what they went to after they did all of the oxyacetylene welding. And those machines didn't have all the features that were adjustable, like Hertz, right? or, you know, your AC frequency is what we call it today. That's basically how many times per second the machine is going to alternate between electro-positive and electro-negative. Uh, those were just hardwired at 60 Hertz. So that machine was going to alternate 60 times per second, and that's where it was That's where it was set. And if you didn't like the bead profile you got from that, too bad. That, that's where it was... That's where you were stuck with, but people made that work for a long, long time. Right, and you know, and there again with the different types of machines, like from buying one that's cheaper to one that's more expensive. I mean, depending on what you are going to do, I guess it would be more beneficial to go with you know the more expensive machine. Obviously, if you're a professional too, or somebody that you do this kind of stuff every day, I guess you know, in retrospect, buying a cheap one wouldn't be the best idea. But right, right, and actually. Shameless plug here for if you go to ferrofabrication.com and check out the blog series that I'm writing up over there, I've got one about buying your first TIG welder as well as TIG settings explained, which is a part one and part two, and it goes very much in depth on exactly the stuff that we're talking about here, but what I, what I would mention is that we are living in the absolute golden age of welding, where for... 150 bucks. I got that AHP Alpha TIG. I don't get a, a kickback from these people, by the way. This is just the machine I happened to pick when I first got into TIG welding. Right. For 650 bucks, this machine has. Somebody 50 years ago would have killed to have the settings 
this machine has, and it's so affordable. So with a machine like that, you could easily run a, a business off of a, a $600 machine, whereas 20 years ago, you'd have to spend probably a couple grand and have somebody re a part of your house, you know, to, to get, because that was the thing about those transformer machines is they drew an insane amount of power and you couldn't, you couldn't plug them into a household outlet. Nowadays, these inverter machines, they'll run on a 110 outlet anywhere in your house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plug it in and you're off to the races. It's, it's really incredible to tech, how far technology's come. Yeah. And that's something too, you know, because like you'll look at some of these like these cheaper ones, you know, and they'll have a 110 and then they'll have a 220 plug that you can plug into the plug to make it 220 or vice versa, you know, like they'll come with a 220 plug on it and then they'll come with like an adapter to where you can just plug it into a household, you know, outlet. Right, which is so crucial for people because a lot of times people will write to me about, you know, hey, I'm looking to get a big welder. What do you recommend? This was the reason why I wrote the blog post in the first place. But the first thing I always ask people is what kind of power do you have in your garage? Because it, it matters quite a bit. If you get, I, if I recommend a machine that is 220 only and it's got a million features, that does you no good if you only have 110. Right. So that is a big part of the equation. And like you said, it's super cool that these machines nowadays are making it more and more accessible for people to get into welding. Um, and they, and they don't have to, you know, spend a couple hundred bucks to have an electrician come and put a two twenty plug in for them. Right, because I mean, most of the time, a lot of people don't know how to do that themselves, or like say they have electric in their garage, but boxes in their basement, you know. So for them to run two twenty out to their garage, it's it's not that cheap to run, you know. That's that was actually my exact situation when I so I bought this house two years ago. It had. So my garage is, it shares a wall with my basement um, that the actual panel was on. So one of my uh, friends came and he wired it for me. He brought, he actually dropped a panel into the garage for me. And then that was all we had time to do that day. And I, the only reason I'm not going to name his name is because I'm sure he wouldn't want me to mention this next part um, with his name attached to it. And <laughs> then we hopped on FaceTime. And he FaceTimed me on how to wire the 220 out of the box and create the cable. And so I did a belt with the, with the, the guidance of, a, of an experienced person through FaceTime. And <laughs> now I have 220 in the garage. At least it's there now. Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. And actually, he had the foresight to say, make the cable. So I was going to cut the cable to where it, it could make it to the center of the garage. And he was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone say, run that cable 10 feet past your garage and cut it there. And I'm so glad that he said that because now I could go anywhere with this cable. I could go into my driveway and plug my welder in out in the driveway. Such a fuck, such a benefit to be able to do that. Well, and that's, that's a big thing because like I got one in mind, but I mean it literally fucking drops out of the panel box and it's right there on the wall. Like the people that put it in. Because we just bought our house last year. So, like, I have 220 out in my garage, but they only fucking, like, dropped it, like, three feet underneath the panel box, put the outlet there. So, like, I had to make, like, an extension cord, basically, to be able to put it over onto the other side of the garage. You know, it's so, like I wouldn't have to keep my welder right there in that corner of the garage because it's right by the fucking door, too. So, it's like, I don't know why they did it yeah, that, that way. Is, that is the tricky part. I mean, cable is really expensive. 
relative, so they probably wire it that thing as close to the panel as they can. Right. They don't want to be running 30 feet of, uh, you know, not wire or whatever the, I can't remember, I'm not an electrician, but really thick wire, right? Yeah, it <laughs> um, is, it is, it's thick. Yeah, um, I, I actually need to, I want to do that, because right now I have it, it comes out of my panel, and it is a giant cable that runs along the exterior of the garage, and then there's an outlet attached to the other end of the cable, whatever really need to do is drop an actual mounted plug right under the box and then turn that long cable into an extension cord. Yeah. That would be a much safer way to do what I'm doing. Yeah. So like with uh, machines, I mean, you know, I did a lot of research on the internet looking at different kinds, types, you know, price ranges. I mean, you know, I'm, I was on YouTube looking at some of these people that are buying these like $100 TIG welders on eBay. I'm like, there's no way these things are even remotely what they should be. And these guys are like, oh, they're great. Yeah, didn't burn up on me, didn't do that. But then, like, I think it's funny because then you go back on the internet and you look at the reviews and they're like, yeah, I almost burnt my garage down. <laughs> like, I don't see yeah, why. Yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, there's a, a bottom level that, um, that I probably wouldn't dip into. I don't want to – when you asked before about what my favorite type of welding was – I think I would change that answer to say teaching. I love teaching welding more than I like doing the projects myself. So because of that, I don't want to tell anybody like, hey, if you can only get a $200 welder, then don't even bother. Um, I don't want to come off like that. So get the best one that you can afford. But what I will say is I have I have recommendations, and you can find them in the blog post. But... What you really, you mentioned before, do you really need all of those settings? Here's, I like to break it down for, as a real world example for why you might need a, you know, a particular setting. And first off, for anybody who's brand new to TIG welding, you, you, if you're only going to buy one TIG welder, you're probably going to want to buy one that has alternating current. And the reason you would want to do that is because you cannot weld aluminum unless you have alternating current. Right. So if you're going to buy one machine... A lot of people will look at this and they'll say, myself included, I, I almost did this until somebody talked me out of it, um, is, well, how, you know, bike frames are made of steel, handlebars are made of steel, sissy bars are made of steel. I don't think I'm going to need to weld aluminum. Maybe I'll just save because alternating current can add about 500 to, you know, 500 and up to the cost of the machine. Um they say, you know, maybe I'll just get one that does direct current only because that's pretty much all I'm going to do. I would, I would say don't go that route. Uh, the reason I say that is because this is a little different for me because I started a business with mine, um, and that's what I'm using it for. But I get so much work that is aluminum because everybody has a cheap welder, but the cheap welders don't weld aluminum. Right. So bring it to me. And that, that's 90% because most people, if they have to say they have to do an exhaust and it, it, price is the main concern for them, they're probably going to pick it together in their own garage. They're not going to call me for that. Um, but if you've got, you know, an aluminum manifold that you need to repair crack on or like some guy last summer, you came in a little hot and had six too many beers before you tried to launch your boat in and you smashed the prop off, you're going to need to bring it to somebody that weld aluminum and that's me oh. so it, it does benefit to, to have that set if you can you know bear to pay a couple hundred bucks more up front right 
Yeah, that, no, that makes sense. Because, I mean, I don't know. I, I look at a lot of these smaller machines and some of these cheaper machines, and like I looked at a lot of different reviews on a lot of these smaller ones, and like some of them aren't bad. They aren't, you know, and like these are from professionals, and they actually like broke them down and did like review reviews on them, like trying them out. And some of them are okay, but like you said, they are all DC machines. They aren't. They aren't AC. So. It is like you said, you know, yeah, you want to get this because you think you're only buying steel and the next thing you know, you got this piece of aluminum you got to fix and, well, now you can't do it. Right. And I'll throw this out there for anybody that's, that's looking around. Um, like I said, I started with that AHP Alpha TIG. Um, I $650 for it. That's a really good deal. Everlast makes a Power TIG 200 DV. DV is for dual voltage. Uh, all of the machines I'm talking about here are dual voltage. So the Everlast is a little more expensive. I think the Everlast is closer to like 1100 bucks, but it's got a couple more features. Again, this is where you get into this sense of like, do you need all of the features of the Everlast? Um, and Everlast has been around a little bit longer than AHP, so people feel a little bit more comfortable with them. Um, and then I, somebody hit me up the other day to recommend the prime weld tig 225 and i actually watched the review on it from the fabricator on um the fabrication series justin mural i think is the guy's name on youtube where he did a um a review of that machine and i've never put my hands on it personally but his review i was actually pretty impressed really a sub one sub one thousand dollar 225 amp acdc tig welder that could you could easily run a business off of so those are just three quick machines that I'm throwing out for people listening to this. If you're trying to price it out and you're thinking, you know, what, what should I look at? But those are three decent options for under a thousand bucks or right at, right about at a thousand bucks in the Kitty Everlast. Okay. So like whenever you go and you get your machine, a lot of things people don't think about is you need gas. So yes. what, what about gas? So you bought your TIG welder. I mean, what are you looking at? What should you be looking at? Run me through some sure, of that. Yeah. So this is, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because a lot of times people forget this and then they think, okay, it's just the cost of the machine. And before you know it, you're spending a lot more than you thought you would be spending. Um, so you do need gas and what you need is 100% argon gas. So you can get this, you can buy this tank or you can rent this tank. And this is kind of, I have some friends who rent them. I own mine personally. Um, they come in different sizes as well. So personally, for if you're just doing, if you're not running a business on it, I would buy your tank. Uh, that's my advice because the difference being you pay a little bit more up front. I bought a 60 cubic foot argon tank for I think 160 bucks, and I own it for life. And when I get it filled, it costs about 35 bucks. And it usually lasts me a couple of weeks with the amount of welding that I do. Um, now, if you're just using this as something that you use in your own garage and you're not taking customer jobs, that bottle will probably last you quite a long time. I did end up upgrading to an 80 cubic foot, so I paid a little more to upgrade bottle. But that's that's basically as, as big as you're, at least in my area, as big as you're allowed to buy is an 80 cubic foot. Anything bigger than that, and you need to lease it, which... If you're running a business, it might be worth it to lease it because if you are, are running a ton of hours on your machine and burning through gas, you're going to want the biggest gas tank that you can buy. 
Uh, and I think those are like 70 to 80 bucks a year on the lease, and they cost quite a bit more to fill. I would imagine, I, I don't own one of those, but I would. I think somebody was saying they cost about 120 to fill them, but that's you know, triple the size of my tank, so you're really getting some good, uh, if you break it down over time, I'm sure that it pays for itself. Right, because <clears throat> I was actually, I, uh, I'm going to pick mine up Monday. Uh, I got a 60, and uh, I went to a place over here about 20 minutes away from me, and, you know, he was telling me that a lot of times for, like, them, for them selling them, he usually tells people to go with, like, a 120, and they would sell them to you over there. Um, Oh, see, that's awesome. I wish I could buy that. Yeah, yeah. See, they down here, uh, AWG is the name of the place, and they told me that I could buy it outright, which I think all together I'm looking at like three hundred bucks, like to buy it and get gas and maybe right, yeah, right. And he said too, you know, like you said, you know, you're probably better off just buying it. And then what they do is once you buy one from them, you just when it's empty, you take it back, and then they just swap it out. And then they take yours and get it refilled. Now they can get it refilled for you, but they said that it can take four to five weeks, depending. So, because they don't fill them in house. Yeah, they said they don't fill them in house. So they just swap out oh, your bottle. That's, that's ridiculous. I don't understand that. I mean, that's like air gas and Matheson. I don't know if you guys have Matheson out there, but we have air gas and Matheson, and they uh, they're the same way. They'll just swap your tank out. And uh, for anybody that's wondering, like if you own a tank and you take it to I, I go to a mom and pop called Granite Industrial Gases uh, right here in town. Um, all of these places, when you own the tank, even if they swap your tank, you still own it. So you're, right. I don't want to misconstrue this where people think you're losing the tank if they swap it out. But you just you just own a different tank, right. but it's, you still own it. Yeah, yep. That's that's how they explained it to me. Yeah, and I mean they had they had some 60s and some 80s and some 120s, and I think for me to get that 120, don't quote me, it was like close to 350 bucks, and that wasn't including the fill because see they sell you the tank, but then you have to pay to get it filled the first time, and then the next time you bring it back, then it's only like you know whatever the cost of the gas is, and then they just swap out your tank. That's fucking ridiculous that they even if you even if you just charge more. Just to tell the customer that, like, yes, you're, you buy it and it comes full. Why would you not sell it full? Just so the customer feels like they're not paying for two things. I just feel like that's a weird way to sell a product. But yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. And you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather they just told me that it costs three eight and build the cost in. Otherwise, I feel like I'm like, oh, now I got to pay for another thing at yeah. the same time. Fuck that. Yeah, I know it. Uh, it fucking sucks. It does. And and you know they're always trying to sell you to something bigger. And you know they're telling you what you need or what they think you need. And it's like, no, man, I don't want that. And I told the guys like I didn't want a big tank. I don't have the room. I want to be able to put it on my cart, be able to push it into the corner when I'm not using it. You know. And he's like, well, 120, you can do that. And I was just like, no, man, like I want a small one. And because I know for what I'm going to use it for. You know, I'm not like you where you know it's my job. I miss using it in my shop. So for what I need, I, I think it's going to be perfect. But yeah, and it's good. To, it's good to have a smaller one for portability too. I've thought about going to the bigger one only, but then I also do mobile welding. So if I had to carry a 300 series, you know, like the giant ones, right. I'd be breaking my fucking back. So yeah. it's like. 
I kind of, I think the the evolution for me in the end is going to be one of the 300 series huge ones for the shop, and then and then exchanging my current tank for actually a smaller tank um, that I take when I go on the road. Right. Yeah. Because I mean that 300. I mean that probably stands what five six foot. I'd say five feet. Yeah, because it's right about uh, it's just under idle level for me. Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not small by any means. So another thing. Yeah, but then you see those guys that come to deliver them, and they're rolling two of them in I, an X. I know. And like kicking it, alternating their feet. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Dude, that's like the scariest shit. I, I roll one of those pretty good, and then when I see somebody doing the double, I'm like, you fucking showboat, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have gas at work for our fryers and stuff to like to light our burners and. It's it's funny because these guys we have like five or six tanks over along the wall and they're all like bridged together for all the pipes yeah. you know to fire up the fryers and yeah this guy will come in too and he's the same way he'll do the X and then he'll roll and he's he's a bigger dude too though but it's like I go over and I look at one of them tanks I'm like there's just no way <laughs> like there is yeah. no way I can do that. <laughs> Dude, it's just I I just can't imagine the shame that I would feel if I ever dropped one. I, I, I couldn't live it down, so I'm just going to stick to rolling one and yeah. I'll make two trips. <laughs> yeah, because if that top knocks off, that's a missile. Oh, yeah, dude. That thing will destroy everyone. Uh, so another thing people, you know, whenever they're getting into TIG welding, um, buying rods. Yes. So what's up with that? That's a big one. So... As far as rods go, and I know I, this is at the risk of sounding like a like a self promotional asshole here. I also have a blog post on filler rod. So no, I, I love the blog. Check that out. It, it's definitely it's definitely worth a read because I don't want to bore people with it uh, too much details. But I'll say this: if you're doing steel only, there are two rods. Your local shop it has usually has one or the other. It doesn't matter which one you get. If you're if you're a very high end of like metallurgy, yes, there's a difference. But for all intents and purposes, if you're starting out, ER seventy S two or ER seventy S six. I have both, uh, but that's just because I happened to purchase them from two different shops, and each one only carried one style. That's your mild steel wire. Most for some people, that's all they'll ever use. ER seventy. S2 or ER70S6, um, and it comes in different diameters. So for most people, I say 332 first, um, and then get 116th after that. If you're listening to this from a different country, I, I believe 116th, let me look it up here, 116th to decimal, or what are they, or to millimeter. I want to I want to throw the conversion in there because so we in the states use okay so yeah one point five eight millimeter uh, so they probably just call that one point five and then for the three thirty two it would be two point three or I think they call it two point four and they round up so that's basically your basic rod that'll work with. Mild steel, which is 90% of what people are going to be doing if they're welding on motorcycles, unless you want to get into stainless. A lot of people want to do, you know, stainless sissy bar. They want to buy a hypnic jerk tail light, and that's stainless. So if you're welding stainless, you're going to want 308 
filler rod. Sometimes they'll call 308L, either one, um, that'll do you right, and that's for stainless. So the nice thing about TIG, too, is one machine, we didn't even touch on this, right, TIG versus MIG, when you want to change what the, the material that you're welding with a TIG welder, you're using the same machine. You don't have to pull a spool out. You don't have to change anything about it. You change your filler rod. So that's a, that's a really handy thing because if you want to go from regular steel to stainless steel and then back to regular steel, it's just a matter of picking up a different rod, which is really handy. Right, yeah. So uh, what was the uh, the uh, filler rod for mild again? Which one did you say that was? So for mild, it's ER70S2 or ER70S6. Uh, like I said, your, your local shop might just have S6 and they don't stock S2. They're fine. Just get whichever one they have. Okay. So that's for that. And then if you're, if you're doing uh, aluminum, 4043. 4043 is your aluminum rod. Uh, there are others, but as far as if you're getting something, you're, you want to practice, you want to run some aluminum, you're not planning on anodizing these parts, which, I mean, how many people are planning on anodizing their parts? Yeah, if you're yeah. anodizing your stuff, <laughs> get 53, 56. But you pro- if you're anodizing your aluminum parts, you're probably not waiting on my advice on what filler rods to get. <laughs> so I would, I would get 4043 rod for aluminum first. And then from there, you can decide if you want to do 50, 56 as well down the road. But for, so basically kind of going through the whole system right you need the rod you need the machine you need the power and the gas and then the last thing you need is a an actual regulator that goes on the bottom which sends the gas to the machine most machines come with a regulator um it could be a little cheap but they work the one that came with my ahp um i actually use that one out in the field because it's pretty tiny uh-huh. um, and it's easy to pack it into my job box so i use the same one that came with the machine Certainly, by by no means is it like a top quality regulator, but if it breaks one day, I'll replace it then. But for the time being, it's actually held up pretty damn good for about a year and a half now. Yeah, because I got the one that you had told me about uh, back in the wintertime there. That I got that one. Um, the dual flow? Yeah, yep. Oh, dude, good move. Yes, that is. I bought that one as well because cause that opens it up to if you want to start doing back purging, you've got a dual regulator. And, and the difference between a dual flow regulator and a standard one is only like maybe 20 or to 40 bucks, I think. So it's like, why not? Yeah. I think altogether, I think I paid like $70 maybe for this one. I got a Harris or whatever. Yeah, that's yep. a great company. Yeah. I, I uh... Harris, Smiths makes them too. And then Miller makes their own. So Harris... Smiths, Miller, and there's another one. I'm gonna say Victor. Victor, Victor Mixon too. So one of those is probably a good one to start with. All of those are, are companies that are well established in the welding industry. Cool. And uh, I guess there's only one other thing that people would really have to. Well, two, but they kind of coincide a little bit. Uh, tungsten. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a can of worms kind of topic. I figured. Do you have a Do you have a tungsten that you prefer? Um, I was looking at uh, the lanthanated. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I, I was looking at, at them, and that was because there's a lanthanated and thoriated, right? There's a whole bunch. There's like over 10 different kinds, and new ones are still coming out. Companies making, uh, like CK Worldwide just came out with their laser tungsten now. Um, Radnor makes an E3, which is like a, non, um, a non-radioactive one. That because uh, you know thorium theoretically, if you were to like grind thorium and inhale the dust, eventually maybe you might die from it. I don't know. It's there. This is what I mean when I say it's a can of worms topic. Is there are so many people with so many opinions, and you'll never get you'll never get the answer. Right. You're just right. going to get an answer from a person. And so I'll give you my answer, which I got from Jody over at WeldingTipsAndTricks.com, who's a, a far better welder than most of us, uh, far better welder than most people in the world, I would, I would imagine. And he had recommended 2% lanthanated. I ran, I've run 2% lanthanated at my last job. They had thoriated, they had E3. I go 2% lanthanated every day, every time, no matter what I'm welding, I never touched him. So is that is that the one that you would you would say for somebody starting out? That's what you would. Uh... Absolutely, two percent lanthanated in a three thirty two size. That is on my torch probably ninety nine percent of the time. Okay, cool. And another thing, and you you could get a sixteenth um, if you yeah. want. It for like doing sheet metal, but to be honest, I do metal with a three thirty two. I do quarter inch thick with a three thirty two. It's it's pretty it's pretty damn versatile. It's really hard to be super lanthanated. It's light blue, by the way. If uh, tungstens have a, a color strip on them that, that let you know what it is, if, like once you take it out of the package, if you were to pick it up off the table, you wouldn't know what it was. They color code them. Um, yeah, they're at the back. Yes, exactly. I, I end up usually cutting them in half anyway, and then I sharpen both sides. So that, that color strip is fucking gone. But I only have uh, I only have two percent lanthanated, so it's never a problem. Because <laughs> you know that that was one of the things that I was going to ask you too was the size of the tungsten. And like you said, if if you can run three thirty two and do sheet metal, and like you said, go up to even quarter inch steel. I mean, why not just run that? You know, instead of having to worry about buying two different ones or whatever. You know. So. Right, exactly. And they can be, you know, for somebody that's getting into all of this, it seems like a lot of stuff. Um, but I promise you, it once it's done, you, you buy all these things one time. If you bought a pack of tungsten, you might be like, oh, my God, this is like, what does tungsten cost? Maybe 20 bucks for like a pack of five six or six or, or something. yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And I've had the same six pack for about two years. Really? Yeah. It, I like. I don't know how people are going through as much tungsten as they're going through. Like it does. It just. It does not seem. And I, I. I'm not trying to say like, oh, I never dip my tungsten. I dip my tungsten all the time. Uh, we all make mistakes. But you grind that little bit off, and then you're back to welding, and it lasts for fucking ever. So don't worry about the cost of that. It's not something you're going to burn through at like an alarming rate where you're going to be spending twenty bucks every month. Uh-huh. I wouldn't think. Well, no, right. And, uh, another thing too, like we were just talking about buying that in packs. Uh, so like back to the rods just for a quick second, like whenever you go to, whenever you go to purchase rods, they come by weight, right? Like you buy them by the pound or three pound, five pound. 
Or ha- That's correct. Yeah, you buy them by the pound, and you get a better deal if you buy them in, in like, 10-pound uh, packs, which if you buy them in 10-pound packs, that's probably the way to go. I just picked up 332, uh, the mild steel wire, ER70S2. Um, I bought that in a 10-pound pack for 40 bucks. Is there a brand you prefer? There is not. I get whatever my my local welding supply has. I cannot remember. I want to say weld coat, maybe, C-O-T-E. Yeah. But there's not, uh, usually whatever the local shop has. I think uh, Air Gas usually stocks Radnor is the brand that they use. The main thing is you want to make sure, especially if you're not buying it in a 10-pound pack, Sometimes they'll sell you wire that's already opened. If you add, you're like, oh, well, I, I want to spend a little less money, so I just want to buy two pounds, right? And what they do is they go in the back and they pull two pounds of a pre-opened pack that's like rusted to shit. So you want to make sure that whatever wire you're buying is bright and shiny. If you're buying mild steel wire, it looks like copper, right? It has a brown um, copper color. looks like a penny. And if it's not bright and shiny and it looks like a penny that's been kicked through the streets for 20 years, you don't want to buy that because it's going to contaminate your weld and you're going to be chasing your tail trying to figure out why your beads look like shit, and it's because you're dipping dirt metal into a clean puddle. Right. It's, it's never going to work out. So, And that's a big thing with TIG welding too is making sure that all your surfaces are, are extremely clean. Yeah. And there was a uh, – I remember – when I was first starting in that, that night class, my instructor said there are three C's when it comes to TIG welding, and it's cleaning, cleaning, and cleaning. So it's very important to clean the metal. You don't want any – so say, let's say – I like to break this down because it's a motorcycle show, right? So yep, I like to break right. it down to what we're doing for – like what, what you might be working on. So say you're welding a, a bracket that's going to hold your fender on, right? And the bracket is my – Steel, you take a, a piece of mild steel, you drill the holes in it that you're going to mount bolts through. The fender should be bright, shiny metal, and the entire mount that you made should be bright, shiny metal before you go to weld these two things together. If it looks like steel has what they call mill scale on it, where it's that dark gray coating that's on it, and you try to take weld over that, it's going to be dog shit. Every time, it's not about technique, it's not about anything else. It should be bright, shiny, or you're going to have problems with it. And that's, I think, where people struggle coming from MIG welding is they're used to just being able to run a bead right over mill scale, and it looks like it always does. And that's just not the case when it comes to TIG. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, I've heard you talk about it uh, plenty of times, you know, where you were saying about making sure that you have it clean and even using uh, acetone to help clean your surface. Yeah, see, that's where I, I sometimes lose people once I bring up the fact that you really should wipe it with acetone, too. They're like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to MIG weld it. So I try to make it sound <laughs> very approachable, but yes, you really should grind it with a flap disc. I have so many flap discs in my shop because I just, everything I weld has to be hit with a flap disc first. And then I wipe with acetone. And if you really want to get, you know, a perfect, perfect bead, spray some acetone onto a rag and run your filler wire through it. You'll be amazed how much shit comes off a filler wire that you thought looked pretty damn clean in your hands. Huh. That's That's something I actually learned about a year ago um, when I had bought some wire that was not so clean, and even though it looks clean, I ran it through a white rag with acetone on it, and it looked like mud. 
and I was like, holy shit, that's on here somewhere? <laughs> and that was like a, a fairly new container, too. It's, it's amazing how quickly it builds up. So that's a, that's a tip for if you're still struggling with uh, getting your beads to look the way you want, is to make sure to clean that wire. Nice. So another thing, too, um, you know, and I've seen a lot of these different sizes and stuff, and it always kind of baffled me. Uh, on your torch, like whenever you're looking at cups on the end of your torch. Yes. Run me through some of that. All my favorite questions, man. Well, yeah, I want to know because I'm very interested in this stuff. I want to get better at it and try my hand at this too, buddy. Yeah, so so to to simplify it, right, there's all different cup sizes from like three, let's say three up to like 16. I'm going to make this super easy for everybody if you're getting started, right? I, I would have a different conversation with someone that's, that's really looking to dial in a specific process. If you want to hit me in the DMs with a specific question, we can get into the, deep, the nitty-gritty of it. Uh-huh. Um, but for, for everybody else, here's my, here's my recommendation. We already said 332 tungsten, that's 2% lanthanated. I would get yourself a stubby gas lens kit, which – so basically a gas lens – I, I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. Um, if you if you have a, some people have like a, a utility sink in their their garage, right? That sprays water in every direction, right? Because there's no actual filter head on the where the water comes out, so it just goes hog wild when it, when it exits the spout. Yeah. And then the sink in your in your kitchen has a nice uniform downstream that's all consistent. And the reason is because there's a little mesh screen inside your sink head. And that's what's causing the water to come out in a uniform way. Uh, So a gas lens does the exact same thing, but with the argon gas that's coming your TIG torch. It's a little screen that the, the, uh, excuse me, not the water, that the gas comes so that the gas comes out evenly and shields the puddle from contamination. And we kind of skipped over that part, not to get too, like, down in the weeds on it but what the argon is actually doing is it's denser than air so when you have a molten metal puddle your the argon is actually pushing oxygen away from the weld until it has time to cool because if oxygen gets in there that's what those little porosity beads are when you see like little bubbles and pinholes oh yeah got into the metal when it was still liquefied and it bubbled it so argon is pushing that away. So the reason you, you run a gas lens is so that you get better shielding over that puddle. So stubby gas lens kit, number eight cup, 332. Yeah, I that's, bought... That's the, golden, that's the golden starting point for everybody. I bought the kit that you sent me in the messages that one day. I, I bought that one. Uh, so I have that in the shop ready to go for my torch whenever I get it. I actually, uh, I have one coming here at the end of the week. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Was that the, uh, that was the one that had multiple sizes of gas lens too, right? Yeah, yeah. There were some, there were some longer, some stubby ones. And yeah, there were some different diameters. And I think uh, an important thing to touch on too is uh, with your tungsten and the size of your cup, uh, you are not supposed to exceed the diameter of your cup with your tungsten coming out like past your cup, right? It goes on the diameter of your cup. Is that correct? It is, yeah. So, so as with with everything, I suppose there's there's gray areas to it. But for all intents and purposes, the closer 
yeah, the, the less stick out you have coming out of your cup, the closer the weld is going to be to where the gas is coming out. So if you extended it, you know, say an inch from, from the edge of the cup, now your weld puddle is one full inch away from the gas, and that makes it harder for it to cover it. So, yeah, you do want to keep – I usually run about like a quarter of an inch or less of stick out. Sometimes you can't get around it, especially, again, you know, we're dealing with motorcycles, right? I just welded up a hardtail from my Roadstar, and when you get to a joint where it's meeting the backbone, you know, the two frame rails are meeting with the, uh, the down tube in the front. Uh-huh. Not the down tube, the seat post. Um, you, you just you have to get a torch in there somehow. And so I had at that point I was running a stick out that was like two inches. Really? Right? Because how else are you going to get your TIG torch what into what is essentially a V between two pipes? Oh you yeah, yep, I mean? yep, yep, yep. You've got it. You've got to get it somewhere, and it, and you can't with TIG weld. You can't have the tungsten, and you already know this. I'm just saying this for the listeners. You can't have the tungsten. You want to hold as close of an arc as you can. You really don't want to be more than an eighth inch away from the metal that you're welding on. So because you have to keep the tungsten close to the metal and the weld is at the bottom of this V, sometimes you have to run a crazy stick out, turn your gas flow way up so that it's pushing a lot more gas out there and run a big gas lens. Yeah. And so is there a difference in performance? Like I know you were – putting up pictures of new cups that you got that were glass. Is there a, a difference from like the uh, pink, like ceramic looking cups or is there? Yes, I have. So they do make the, the glass ones. I, I have the, uh, the white ceramic one actually. So I don't have the glass ones, but the glass ones help you. It might help you see a little better. To be honest, I've never tried the glass. Um, it just, not, not because they don't work as well, but just because I already had the kit that I had sent to you and it was working pretty well. Uh, I got the Michael Furick is a guy who makes all kinds of crazy cups. If people have like a super niche welding application that they need like a size 16 cup for, uh, Michael Furick is usually who they go to for that. So I bought one of his, he calls it a Jazzy 10 uh, cup. So it's a white ceramic in a number 10 cup is, is pretty big. I would say it's like an inch opening on it. Uh-huh. Uh, but that lets me run a crate because that cup is so wide. And when you crank the gas up, you're just dumping this like waterfall of gas. And that thing lets me get full inch, inch and a half of stick out and still get proper shielding and get like a nice rainbow colored well. Nice. Yeah. That thing is super handy. I don't use it all the time. I use it like on uh I posted some pictures last, uh, the, on Friday of a, a pipe weld that I was doing, like a, a big flange for some 8-inch Schedule 10 pipe. Um, and for something like that where I'm going to be walking the cup, I, I don't use uh, a giant cup like that because it makes the cup walk all funny. Um, so for stuff like that, I like I think the pink cups actually work really great for those types of projects. But Having one of those Jazzy 10, I think I bought a two-pack of the Jazzy 10 for only like 25 bucks. And oh, I uh, I, I'm only, by the way, I don't want it to come off like I'm all about what things cost. I, I, like, no, I, it's important. Because a lot of time, it's important. Yeah, a lot of times I listen to shows and people, you know, they're talking about this tool and that tool. And I'm just like, I can't Google it fast enough to keep the tally in my head. So I'd like to throw the cost out to let people know this is what you can expect to spend on something like that. Right, yeah. So, uh, and you just said too about walking the cup. What's that mean? 
So walking the cup is something that you do on, you could do it on a frame. Um, I did it a little bit on the Roadstar frame. Uh, and basically what that is, is if you were to picture, I guess the best example is I used to work as a bar back and I would have to carry all, I'd have to move all the kegs from the delivery room over down into the basement and then put them in the cooler. And the way, the same way you would walk a keg across the floor where you're kind of tilting it to one side and okay. then rotating it and then tilt the other way and rotating it. And it's much easier to see this done on video. Um, but basically the way you would walk a keg across a concrete floor is what walking the cup is. And it gives your weld a really nice weave pattern back and forth. And uh, it's really handy for pipe because on pipe, the material gets super hot. Like when I was welding an eight inch pipe, it's scorching hot. You can't keep your hand on that. Right. So instead of having to keep your hand on it, you put the cup down on it and you and you walk that cup back and forth and that gives you a place to prop so that you stay nice and stable and you don't have to worry about burning your hand off. No, that's cool. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying now. Yeah, it's really it'd be really difficult to do that on like say a frame tube that's one inch because the angle the actually the, the bigger the pipe the easier it is because your angle is changing it much slower on an eight inch pipe. Whereas on a one inch pipe for you to travel that one inch, your arm has to go from like underneath you to above your head in the matter of like four walks, right? You know, four weeks back and forth. That's very, very difficult to do. So a lot of people will just freehand that type of stuff, which, which basically means just like regular welded regular, um, myself included. That's mainly what I do, uh, when it comes to like frame tubing and things like that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier too, but man, your blog—you got a lot of really cool stuff on your on your uh, website there and on your blog for Ferro Fabrication. Oh, thank you. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so like I was saying before, this type of stuff. Anybody who's listening to this, you can tell I get really hyped up about teaching welding. It's probably my favorite thing because when I was learning, I I just felt like I couldn't find enough information on any particular topic that was catered to me, catered to somebody that was new. So I have, there's obviously great YouTube channels on there, people that teach welding and they give their advice. And sometimes that stuff was just in the beginning was just going over my head. So with so many people writing to me about like for example, I would get the question pretty much weekly from at least two people, what TIG builder should I buy? And I would be typing out pretty much the same answer over and over again to different people, uh-huh. um, but I didn't have it saved, so it's taking up a bunch of time. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody wants to know what to buy, but it's so confusing because there's so many different settings. What do you need? What do you not need? So I just sat down and said, let me just put all of this information in an easy format to understand that anybody who's, whether you've welded before or you've not welded before, they could sit down, read it, and know what matters to them, uh, and in a way that they can understand it. So I actually, when I made that blog post about buying your first TIG welder, I broke it down for into three categories, one for hobbyists, one for someone doing a side hustle, and one for somebody who wants to do full-time fabrication work. Because... There's so much information that you really can't give everyone the same answer. Right. So you have to tailor it for the application. Those were the, the three categories that I felt like 
you could probably throw most people into one of those three. Uh, maybe some people be on the line between two of them, but you know, then it's at their own discretion. But at least they've got a roadmap. Um, and then the other thing was, you know, what do the settings do? TIG welders have a lot of buttons. MIG welders have two. One is wire feed. One is heat. Right. <laughs> and sometimes they're sometimes it's not even heat and amps. It's just heat and like A, B, C. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck is this? <laughs> or so, or uh, min yeah. or max <laughs> on flux cores like the Harbor Freight ones. It's either minimum or maximum for amperage. Like there's no adjustment. There's no anything. It's just you're either. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I bought my first welder was a Lincoln Handy MIG, which so it, it had uh, it had one and two, and then it had min and max. You have two settings on minimum, two settings on maximum, and then you just had your wire feed. And it was not very much. But, again, it was, it was easy to understand. And I feel like so many more people would get into TIG welding and be able to take their vocation and their projects to another level if they just knew that this stuff isn't as complicated as it sounds. Right. So my whole reason for starting the blog was to take these concepts that, that I sometimes think other people intentionally make confusing because they want to feel like like no one could do what they do and i'm over here like anybody could do this it's very simple and here's the the key stuff you need to know so that you can get started that's my whole goal with the blog if anybody has things that they're struggling with um i'm actively looking for for topics things that people don't understand the blog is only as good as as the people who need it, you know, people who need information. So if there's a topic that, say, we didn't cover today or that you don't be anywhere on the blog, um, shoot me a message, you know. I'll get, a, I'll get a post written up about it. That's actually how the filler wire one came to be and the uh, take settings one. People are like, what do all the knobs do? And I'm like, all right, let me take two weeks to <laughs> synthesize this down into, uh, you know, a, a easily readable blog, and this is all available on your on your phone too. The, the site is optimized for mobile as well. So ferrofabrication dot uh, com and ferro spelled F is in Frank E R R O. Um, so yeah, give it a look. And, and like I said, if there's a way that I can help explain something that we didn't explain yet, I'd be more than happy to throw that out there. Yeah, man, I. I... I was looking at it the other day. I was checking out some of the stuff on it. I didn't get to read everything, but I mean, it's really well made, dude. It looks really good. I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, that people are are getting a lot of benefit from it, and and, and that they jump in and buy that TIG well. I've had a couple people hit me up and say, "Hey, I just pulled the trigger on you know this Everlast machine," and I appreciate it. You know, you pointing me toward it. I'll send you some pics, and I've had people send pictures of their their whole process and. That's probably one of the most rewarding things you can see is when somebody went from not having a welder at all, and then they're sending me these absolute dimes that they're that they're laying with their new TIG welder, and I'm like, that's what it's all about. That's nice. what I want to see. I want to see as many people as possible have that experience. Yeah, it's that's awesome. That's awesome that you're you're getting feedback like that and people sending stuff. It makes you feel good too, you know. It's like, well, I guess it wasn't a complete waste of time or, you know, something like that, you know, where you actually get to see people enjoy what you're putting out. I mean, that's that's awesome. And it's 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 really awesome to see people like yourself that are excited to hear about these kind of things. I, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm boring the people that I talk to most often because I'm 
I'm always watching a new welding video, learning about a new process, um, or you know, learning how to fine tune my settings in a better way. And I really like when people are interested in that because I spend a lot of time researching it myself. So it's cool to be able to share that, and it's cool to hear that other people want to want to learn more about that too. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I mean, man. It, it's cool. I'm really excited to really dive in head first and I really want to immerse myself in, you know, trying to get decent at this because I think it'd be awesome to be able to make my own parts and stuff. And I just think TIG welding just brings a whole other characteristic to, you know, fabricated parts. Whereas, you know, with a MIG, you know, you're welding it to grind it off where with TIG, you want them dimes, you know, you want that stack of dimes and it looks nicer. It looks professional. And yeah, I think it's awesome. Oh, and actually, speaking of that, we, you mentioned, um, I'm kind of jumping backwards here, so I apologize. No, you're the, good. Uh, one, one setting that I do think, you had asked me what settings I, I thought were important, and I was looking through a few pictures here. The other thing that I think you might want to look for, and most, all of the machines I mentioned before have this setting, but pulse. Pulse is a really cool feature that you don't always need, but when you do need it, it's so goddamn handy to have it um so it's basically the machine automatically alternating between one amperage and another so if you're again i I try to break it down to what what somebody who's building a motorcycle care about pulse for and first thing that a lot of people make is a battery box so you have a battery box all these pieces of sheet metal and they all have what they call an outside corner joint, right? You're going to weld all these different squares together. Uh-huh. You can weld that with pulse, without even even without filler rod. You just set the machine to go from a really high amperage to a really low amperage, and it can be, and you can adjust. You know how many times per second? I like about two times per second is usually good for most things that I do. And you can just let you can just drag that TIG torch right across an outside corner joint. And you're going to get automatic dimes. Super handy huh. for somebody who's brand new, you know? That's really cool. Yeah, so that, and they call that autogenous welding, but that just basically means you're not adding filler metal. You could add filler metal, too, at the same time if you wanted to build it up, if it was something like critical. Uh, but a battery box, you're, you're pretty much just looking for something you don't have to grind. Right. Um, because then you lose your stack of dimes slope. So if you want to run pulse on something like that, that's a great application, especially on bikes, because at the end, we're, not, we're building bikes because we want to showcase what we can do. So the more you can leave those elements, like the beads, on it to show the craftsmanship, the better the overall product. Yeah, I, I'd say that was a thing I was wondering about, too, was about, like, using filler rod. Because, like, I mean, I see people just, like, use the torch, but then, like, they tack it. But then, like, they come back through with filler rod. So, like, I didn't know if you absolutely had to use filler rod every time or how that works. Yeah, but. so you don't. Yeah, you don't have to use it. A lot of people will use, they call it, a, like, a, a fusion tack when you're not adding filler metal. Um, the most common reason to use a fusion tack instead of a regular tack is because... You only have two hands, and some people don't have, you know, what you need to fixture something. I think about this often, like aluminum, right? Aluminum's not magnetic, so if you're trying to build a battery box out of aluminum, there's, unless you have a, a square that you can lay it on, you might have to be holding it with your left hand while you're trying to weld it with your right, and you can't hold fill a rod, so you would just turn the machine up really high, do a quick burst tack, you know, a quick fusion tack, and then your piece is now held together. I used to make a lot of trailer fenders at my last job. Um, 
that were basically like just these big square boxes, um, similar to a fuel cell, but it wasn't all four sides. And I would fusion tack them always because you just need you need a way to hold it while you're while you're working. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's what I mean, man. I'm so excited. I can't wait till I can get mine all set up and I can just start playing with it. I'm, I'm super excited. I, I really want to get good enough to where I can like start doing like some exhaust work and stuff, you know, like try to make my own exhaust, especially on this build that I'm doing now. It's like, I really want to try to make my own exhaust. So, uh, and that's, yeah, that's a nice so thing. It's very, very easy too. I think you'll, I think with your, with your TIG machine, you're going to find that it's super simple, a lot more simple than people think. Yeah. I can't wait. Why do we? Uh, what, part you, what part are you waiting on, by the way? Uh, the machine itself. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm going to pick up the tank Monday, and then I should have my machine by Thursday. So once I have the machine, I should have everything that I need. I'm going to get rod and stuff whenever I go to get my uh, tank. So by the time I get my machine, I'll have everything else set up, ready to go, and can't wait. And which machine is it again? Uh, it was one of the cheaper ones, but uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. I didn't. Yeah, get, I, mean, they all, I didn't they get all an Everlast. Them. I didn't get an Everlast. But it was it was something cheaper, dude. But like all the reviews that I saw on it, it was like it was kind of stupid not just to try to take the gamble on it. I mean, for me starting out, I never had one before, so maybe it's best that I don't have a good machine. That way, if something happens, I didn't just blow eight hundred dollars or something, you know. So. You know, I'm sure, absolutely. I mean, most of them will get it done, especially DC. It's pretty hard to mess up a, a DC machine, um, and that's what you, you're not going to be making an exhaust out of aluminum. So it's you're going to be doing a steel, and pretty much every inverter TIG welder will run DC pretty damn smooth. Cool. Yeah, because once I get it, I'm sure I'm going to be uh, hitting you back up with some questions. But <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Absolutely, I'm, I'm more than happy to help with that. We just did, uh, I just did my uh, buddy Loctite's exhaust for his Greasy Dozen build. We made a badass set of two into ones for his shovel. I seen. Big, uh, what's that? I seen, yeah, I seen pictures of it. It looks sick. Oh, I didn't know if he posted them yet. I actually, I, I was almost about to stop describing them because I didn't want to give it away if he hadn't posted pictures yet, so I'm glad you've seen it already. Yeah, no, I've seen, I seen the two and the one, and then it comes up, and then it has, like, that angle up at the back, like, to shoot it up past the back tire. Is that is that yeah, the one he's the going with? Yeah, shaker on the back. Yep, uh, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, it's yeah, going to look was, sick. That was a fun one, and he just got the, uh, the builder's kit from, I want to say either Biltwell or TC Brothers. Um, so it comes with, like, a bunch of bands, it comes with the flanges, and... It's super easy. We cut it. I have a Harbor Freight bandsaw. We cut all the pieces on the bandsaw and throw them together. And that was the same thing of just throw a mat. Luckily, it's steel, right? So you can throw them on both sides of it. And that's holding it, you know, so it holds it a proper fit up. And then you can use two hands so you can add a little bit of filler when you make your tacks, which is helpful on thinner metal like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it looks good. And your your bike looks good too, man. I freaking love your gas tank that has the uh, cutout for the canteen. Oh, yeah, dude, I've had that canteen forever since I've been since before I was into bikes. I was into uh, camping and bushcraft and all that type of stuff. And so with the you know this road star, the whole theme was 
uh, the same color scheme as the Hudson Bay blanket, which is a famous blanket from basically all the, I think the best way to describe this to people that aren't nerds for this stuff like, like myself, but um, a very popular blanket on the frontier. So the stripe, it's basically going to be a white bike with four colors of stripes, yellow, red, green, and blue. Uh, so it's going to mimic a, a fur trapper style blanket. And then I figured, how can I bring the camping theme to each part of the bike? So the tank has the canteen cut out into it, um, which is going to be actually kind of handy too, because a lot of times when we're going on these long rides, it's nice to be able to have a, a sip of whatever you're sipping on the way there. Right. And, uh, it's got its own little cap, so you could unscrew the cap and then just pick it up and be sitting right there in front of you. I haven't decided whether I'm whether I'm going to paint the canteen itself or just leave the canteen um, uh, the stainless steel that it is. So I'm still trying to decide on that one. Even that polish would look cool. Yeah, that's right. I got I just bought that buffing wheel too. Did you? Uh, at the recommendation of pretty much everybody I know who's been making some sweet polished parts is i need to start getting into polishing things dude even if you go to harbor freight and get that 14 dollars aluminum polishing kit you're going to be so much better off yeah i really need to do that um because I, I do think you're right that'd be super cool it would also be super easy to polish it because it's all rounded and it's small yeah it, it looks sick all polished up sitting there on top of all the painted work that, that that'd be cool Oh, I am too. I am I too. Yeah, I like it. I like it clean and simple and minimal and how does it run kind of look, you know. I, exactly, yeah. Just what it needs and, and nothing else. So I want to, um, to get the bat, to hide the battery so that nobody would see it. So I'm going to do a stainless horseshoe oil tank. And I just made, I'm trying to remember the YouTube channel. I saw it on my kids who were actually watching a video on YouTube as they are wont to do all the time and this guy was panning around in his garage and he had basically I gotta share this because I, I, I hope other people will build this too basically two pieces of angle iron um, with one inch pipes coming up off of them and you put them in a vise and then the two pipes are facing upward from the vise they're about a foot off right and when you close the vise the two pipes are about you know, about uh, maybe an eighth of an inch apart from each other. Uh -huh. And that allows you to put a piece of sheet metal in between them and then bend it and radius it. Oh, cool. Yeah, super cool, right? For like no money. Yeah, that's like, was like stupid why simple. Why did I not build this before? Yeah. So I made it over the weekend and then I tested it out with some uh, 16 gauge and it works beautifully. And you can basically, if you... If you leave, uh, I kind of welded them so that they that they have a they kind of get further from each other as you go up. 
Uh-huh. And then depending on what thickness of material I'm putting in there, I put a clamp on the top so that I could work with something that was thicker or thinner um, and just kind of pull them in toward each other. And I tried it out and it worked the fucking ball. I could not believe how good of a bend. I put like a perfect 180 in a piece of sheet metal and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Obviously, it's not you know not precision like a, like roller the the slip roll would be, but it would let you do you could do really thick stuff with it. Whereas with a slip roller, you'd have to spend pretty good money, like five hundred bucks or more, to get one that'll do twelve gauge uh, sheets. Yeah, but that's still gonna look fucking sick when it's done. Oh, I can't wait. I, axle is on its way now too. I got a space the axle out that see these are the things right um to, actually i should probably back up this is a yamaha roadstar which is a bike that nobody cares about um <laughs> but i think that they will after they see this one finished because it really is such a great platform it's a 1600 cc in my opinion it's the best looking yamaha motor out there um it really does and i know everybody says this about like every bike that's a v-twin but Google Yamaha Roadstar and you'll see what I'm talking about. It really does have the right angle that gives it that that classic big twin style look. So 1600 cc, the older one, that, or excuse me, the, the later years went up to 1700 ccs, which is uh, the equivalent of a 101 um, cubic inch. So it's a huge motor. This thing on the highway does 90 miles an hour without even trying, and it's just putting along. That's awesome. But yeah, so it's it's so cool, and I feel like people. You, I've told a bunch of people I was building a Roadstar, and they're like, "Oh, that's kind of small. It's like a the thirteen hundred. And I'm like, "No, that's the V Star. That's the completely different bike, and it doesn't look as cool, um, in my opinion. If you have a V Star, don't hate me, but I do think the Roadstar <laughs> is just a great looking bike. And uh, the only problem with it is that it has a disgusting hunk of shit behind the seat. Because it's a swing arm bike, it's soft tail style, so it's got the um, the shock is underneath, so it looks like a hard tail from the side. Um, but they have this weird hump in the back where the seat mounts to the fender. It's really gross. I was actually not planning on doing a full build on this. I was just going to take it uh, take it down to the frame and paint it. And then once I got the frame all, I got the motor out of the frame. I was like, this is just too disgusting. I have to kill this thing. So. <laughs> I cut I cut it in half and I was like, We're going whole hog. Just do it. And now I brought it over to my, my buddy's place, Old Man Motors in uh in the Worcester area. He's got a really good uh road fabrication tubing bender. So we bent up the hardtail over there and then I welded it on back at my place with my frame jig. Nice. So that came out super nice. I, I love the way that the lines look it sits really low uh almost too low this is my first like actual build of a frame so i didn't know everything about what i was doing and i still don't but <laughs> i think it, i think it's gonna be okay in the end if i have to uh jack up the front end for a little extra clearance i'll, I'll go ahead and do that um more more engineering type people would probably have figured this out before they started but that's not always my style, so we're just gonna run deal with, with it. it as it comes. Yep. Um, so yeah, so the hardtail is welded on. Um, I used axle plates from Voodoo Vintage that are super sweet. He also makes these. Uh, uh, what do they call? Like a snail 
cam. Snail cam. Yeah, I got. I have a set of them in my shop right now. Fuck yeah, dude! It's such a cool idea, and I was just thinking that you know people are always trying to get their axe to make sure their axles are aligned and have like counting the flats when you like turn the bolts on the back, and I'm like that just seems like such a haggard way to make sure that something is aligned. Whereas yep. with the, the snail cams, you just there's literally notches and you can just count this it's eight notches in over here it needs to be eight notches in over there and you're done right yeah no you can't beat them they're so simple plus they look badass because not a lot of people have them so it's kind of cool to have yeah, them on your no, bike i've never seen them in the, in the wild right that's what i mean it's it's gonna look badass when it's all together i know i have them too and i was i was kind of hesitant at first about getting them but then i was like no you know what nobody else around here is gonna have them and everybody's gonna probably ask me about them so i was like yeah i'm just gonna get them and and they're cheap. They're not expensive either. It's, this isn't like a you know something you got to cut your arm off to get. They're only a couple bucks. Right, and, and then and for the ease of use, ease of adjusting. Like, why would you why would you do anything else? Right. It just makes it super simple. So the uh, the reason I brought up the frame is because a couple things. Right, one when you build a frame and you and you space it in order to so that. It, I guess I'll back up. Sorry, I'm doing a bad job of telling this story here, but uh, the bike was originally left side belt, but it had a transfer kit in there that was really ugly. So you know I had to get rid of that and get some negative space. Yeah. So ripped out the transfer case, and when you take the transfer case out, the actual front sprocket is on the right-hand side. So, so, so now instead of being left side belt, it's going to be right side chain. And nice. the front sprocket was not meant to be, it was, it was kind of hidden under a cover. It was never intended for that to be the, the only five sprocket. So it's in a weird place that, that required me to use a, a fairly wide rear, a fairly wide spacing on the rear axle. Um, so I had to use, so I, I built it to accommodate where that sprocket is. But the problem is, and I didn't realize this till just now, is when you go to buy an axle, they're sold for bikes that are commercially available. So my axle spacing is not commercially available. So terrible idea. So now <laughs> I have to basically what I'm going to do to get the alignment correct is I bought an axle that's too long. I'm going to put a spacer. You know how the axle has like a bolt that's welded onto one side and then threads on the other side. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to I'm going to put a spacer on the outside of the axle plate on that on the bolt side so in essence it's shortening the axle if that makes sense right right uh, yeah okay um so i'm going to do that to so so that so that the the threads are at the appropriate spot and then later on if i feel like that looks weird or i or i don't like the way that it that it's fitting in there um chopper bob who's out here in new hampshire his instagram is nh chopper bob super cool dude who's been riding rigid kickstart chops his whole life um he had he's super good machinist might have him continue the threads on the axle uh like cut them further along and then we'll just we'll just cut it shorter um so in essence shortening uh shortening the axle by by adding the threads and then lopping off some of the threads if that makes sense i know that kind of sounds weird yeah no that's that sounds pretty cool so yeah because like it's like you said it came a little bit long so all you're doing is basically in theory just shortening it up by adding more thread to lop off that end uh that was already tapped or already right 
yeah. threaded. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so then I'll, I'll just get, I'll get the spacing. Uh, I'll get the spacers made up. I'm using a Harley uh, a Harley rear brake and a Harley rear wheel. So three regular. You know, it's a three quarter axle. I, I don't know what wheel it came off of. Um, or I, excuse me, I don't know what the wheel came off of, but I know it's a Harley wheel. Um, I have the sprocket now. I have the disc brake, and it's going to be. That, that part, I think, will be fairly easy. Once I've got the wheel spaced out um, and the chain on and the bike is a roller, I think it's, it's really off to the races from there because everything else I'm, – I'm, I'm hesitant to build the oil tank before I put the wheel in. That's kind of what I'm waiting on right now because if I build the oil tank and it's too long and then the wheel can't fit in there with the fender, I'm going to really fucking hate myself. So I don't want to – get into that mess until I know where that rear wheel is going to be. Isn't it a pain in the ass that like you have like five things in your shop right now you know you could do, but it's the one thing you don't have that could like completely fuck oh. up everything that you're doing. It's like, uh, I said it, brother. it is, it is, it, doesn't it always seem to be that way too? Where like the one thing you're missing is holding up the million other things. Yep. Yep. It's like, I got this entire motorcycle, but I need one bolt and that one bolt, is stopping the whole motorcycle from going out in the road. It's it's the same thing, you know. It's it's and Dude, having having bolts is the biggest pain in my ass. Like that's one thing that you bringing that up just calls to mind the fact that I never have bolts, and I every time I'm like, I should just buy a bunch of bolts and just have bolts, and then I never do it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I every end up... time I'm like, oh, I have to make a separate to a hardware store to get two bolts because I'm an idiot. Yeah, I don't know why I don't just buy like a big. Actually, if somebody has a place they recommend where you could just buy a mass quantity of all different sizes of bolts and washers that are high quality, Fastenal. The DMs and let me know. Fastenal. You say Fastenal? Yeah. Yeah, and they'll ship to That's you. Move. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because the one near me just closed, which is a super bummer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, you, you can go online or you can call like your closest store and just tell them that you know you need this 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 and this and they i'm sure that they would ship it out for you especially now with the current situation of this fucking horse shit seriously i know it's it's been super crazy and that's actually part of the the struggle with the build is you know i'm not sure how much i want to plop down on parts because if i get that call from my job tomorrow and they're like uh yeah we're actually shutting down i'm gonna be like Fuck, my bike's gonna be sweet, but I can't buy food. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you know, trying trying to weigh the options there. Yeah, yeah, that's that sucks. It just sucks that like all these shows that you know we were looking forward to going to and being able to see everybody and hang out, and now it's like, well, nope, we're gonna stay at home. It's like, ah, I hope they don't do it with Deadbeat, man. I I was just talking to Loctite the other night and. Oh. I said to him, I, uh, since we aren't doing the Greasy Dozen, I said about maybe maybe coming up there to do Deadbeat Retreat this year. Dude, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'm really thinking about it. It's such a good show. It, it really is. I, I say show. It's more of a party, but it's such a good party. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Everybody says the same thing. They say it's like one of the best ones to go to. Yeah, it's such a such a freeform thing. We did a little bike show at it last year. Um, gave about some trophies and stuff like that. But it really is just like a back to basics camp for the weekend. You know, get crazy type deal. 
I hope it's I hope it, it doesn't continue that long. Fingers crossed. Yeah, That's I know. Like the one that like if that one gets not to shit talk any other shows, but if if that one got canceled, I would be. That's like a part of my summer, you know. Yeah, I can't not doing that. Yep. Yeah, that's like, you know, going to the beach with the family, you know, that's like the same thing, but it's, you know, that's something you look forward to and it just it just sucks that, you know, we can't have a lot of these a lot of these shows. It's it's I'm over it. Yeah, I hear that, man. I think uh I've seen some good news on the horizon. So, hopefully that news is correct and and pretty soon we get to we get to doing this cuz the next thing I was going to drop some some coins on was uh, stainlessbros.com sells pie cuts and I want to do a stainless pie cut exhaust for this bike that'd be nice right that's the correct answer every time I see stainless pie cuts I'm like oh man I know screenshot that save this for later (laughs) that that color that you get ugh yep it just so looks nasty. That, like, the purples and the and the blues and the and the, the golden haze all around it. Yep. It's it's just such a great look. And it's so easy to make the right bends. You know, because that's the that's the tricky part about when we did Loctite's exhaust, your fit up really is everything when it comes to thin wall tubing like that. Uh-huh. Or thin wall anything. Could be thin wall sheet metal too. Um, but fit up is everything. If you have a, a weird gap it's really hard to fill that on thin stuff. So the advantage to pie cuts is that you don't have to cut the things yourself. You just have to weld them and they're going to fit up perfectly because they're machine cut at the exact angle that they need to be. Um, so there's a huge benefit to that. And I think they are like, I think you pay 15 bucks for like a five pack. I was going to buy like, I think maybe if I bought like seven or eight five packs, that would be enough to do what I'm looking to do. They also sell the tubing itself, and I would only need like a four foot piece of tubing because um, it's going to be a two into one. But it's going to have some some weird like very the other the other nice thing about pie cuts is you can do like a really gradual bend, and uh-huh. it looks it looks very smooth like a transition as opposed to when you're cutting. Uh, like if you buy a, a 180, you know, in a builder's kit, um, you have to get the first, you have to cut it square, which depending on what kind of tools you're working with could be difficult, but also it's, it's little sections and it can definitely look smooth, but you can't get some of the tighter radiuses that you can get. You can really do like a, an aggressive bend with a pie cut. And I have a, I have a really specific design in mind and it's going to then two into one and kick out with a fish, with an, uh, an upswept fishtail. Nice. In the back. And I already have the fishtail. I bought it in New Jersey at the Cheap Thrill Show, which was a fucking blast. Yeah, um, I was so bummed I didn't get to go this year. I was, Dude, I was ready to go. I was leaving that morning, and all hell came to my front doorstep. So I didn't even oh, get to yeah, come. Oh, yeah, I remember you, you hit me up that, that day, and it, it definitely, I know it is, that stuff does happen sometimes, though. And I think we all, we've all been there at, at, at one point or another, so I do understand that happens. Yeah, I'm just I'm ready to get out and be able to hang out with everybody and go ride and get back to normal. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, dude, I haven't ridden with anybody this year. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I hear you. I, like I said, I think we're on the cusp, man. Yeah, I hope, man. I uh, I do. I hope so bad. I'm just over this. But uh, you got anything else to add here? No, I, I mean, 
like I said, if uh, if people want to check out the website, it's ferrofabrication.com. Give it a look. Check out the blog. Let me know if there's stuff that you want to learn more about. And if there's anything that we touched on here or you want to see pictures of the bike, get in touch, whatever, uh, ferrofabrication is my handle on Instagram. That's a good way to get a hold of me. If you have a question, I'd love to answer it for you. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. And again, thank you so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate you having me on the show and letting me say a couple words on this stuff. Oh, man. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So uh, I'm going to keep talking here with uh, Nick for a couple minutes, uh, but we will see you guys next time. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Hey, you got it, man. It was my pleasure. All right. Peace.